0: Whoa, shit, right? O.M. Jesus, O.M. King's Landing, amazing, 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 amazing. Game of Thrones, every single week this year is killing it. And people all, every single week, the only week that people have had something negative to say has been week one with Ed Sheeran and... Me personally, I liked the cameo I thought it was cool When that camera came around And you just hear someone singing I was like, man, those Kingsguards can really sing And then it pans over and Ed Sheeran is the one singing at the campfire I was like, well played, Game of Thrones But this week This week Episode Game of Thrones Season 7 Episode 5 East Watch Great episode I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. Uh, This is Otaku Beef, I'm Zid Raw. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in whenever you guys get a chance. I'm back from a much-deserved and needed break. Took a couple of days, tried to get my mind right. Uh, I was working on some music, but let's get into this Game of Thrones talk. So, I have a lot of feelings when I think about this episode, and like I say, every freaking week and every, basically every talk I do about any type of pop culture, it's uh, spoiler filled. So if you are expecting me to just kind of tell you if the episode was good or not, it's good. Um, but I'm not going to waste my time trying to discuss it without getting into any details. So I have a lot of feelings about this episode, especially when it comes to characters, certain characters whom I just don't get are still kind of hanging around. Like there are characters that are hanging around that I don't like, but I get that they're still hanging around. And then there's characters that I just don't get. I don't get Cersei. I don't get how she's in charge. I don't get how she's doing the stuff she's doing. I don't get this sense where she she knows everything that's going on in the castle and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's the evil maester that she has working for her that's feeding her the information since he took over uh, the Varys' little birds. Um, maybe that's what's going on. But suffice to say, based on how I feel about the character, it's hard for me to care about anything that Cersei does and says. I just don't I don't see her as a very competent leader I just don't see it now there was this one moment in the book that alluded to um, when uh, Tywin and was talking to referring to Jamie and Cersei and he said that Cersei was the one that really uh, had his ruthlessness so maybe that's what they're alluding to but of all his children who really had his mind, it's Tyrion who kind of should have been the one to take over. If he, uh, if he wasn't a dwarf and essentially despised by the father, he's the one that really had the uh, the strategic brain. And Cersei has the ruthlessness, but none of the true cunning. And uh, Jaime just has the talent. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting dynamic that he went for in the kind of Game of Thrones realm. But I'm seeing Cersei now and I'm seeing her like, that's yes, right, Jamie. I knew that Tyrion was there. And I am, I am thinking that this is going to be good for... Her. It feels so out of character to me that if it becomes a little bit distracting. Um, other characters... Uh, Littlefinger is the one I was talking about where I don't like the character, but I understand why he's still kind of hanging around. It makes sense. He kind of hasn't really had anybody who is fully matching his cunning and his ability to uh, win people over with his uh, charm and his his way with words and stuff, which I don't know if they really fully portrayed in the show. In the show, they made him a little bit more uh, slithery and creepy. Uh, in the books, he was a little bit more fun-loving and charming and just clever. So they kind of diminished him down to raise Sansa's character up, in my opinion. Uh, But that's kind of how I feel about Littlefinger in that area of what's kind of going on. So let's kind of start there. Let's start with what's going on in Winterfell. So Jon Snow is not there. He's gone. And I'm assuming he's been gone for weeks, if not months, by simply how things are being kind of sped up for our convenience. Someone joked on Twitter that this season, everyone on Game of Thrones unlocked fast travel, (laughs) so there's no more traversing and waiting, and oh, I hope we can sail from this point to that point in time. It took Arya an entire season two to get up to the Night's Watch, the entire season. That was the whole point of that season, was her and the boys, Gendry and all them, to get up to season two or to get to the night's watch the entire season up on the wall. And now John's like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Dragon Dragonstone. He's down in Dragonstone. Oh no, I'm gonna go to King's Landing. He's up in King's Landing. And I guess we're to assume that based on how uh relative the power of the characters are, that the traveling. Which it's still dangerous, but they because they can handle it, it's not as mu- as big as a hassle as it used to be in previous um, in previous seasons. So now we have Jon Snow, and he's still not home, and the northern the northern uh, leaders and lords are worried, or they're. They're, they're, they're pushing against him. They're like, the king of the north needs to be in the north. And like all this shit. And Sansa's sitting and listening to them. She's like, that's right. Yeah, but we elected John, We need to trust him. Blah, blah, blah. And they're basically like rattling her up. Now, Sansa is stating that she's just doing it because they need to vent. And that's what you're supposed to do. And she's just supposed to listen to their grievances, et cetera, and so forth. We don't know. We we really don't know if that's what she's thinking. Because as if, if we're to believe what the show is trying to trying to have us believe, the show is trying to get us to believe that Sansa is Littlefinger's like apprentice. Though we never really got to see that transformation. I think that's what was going to happen in the books. She was going to almost be groomed and developed by Littlefinger in order to um, be more conniving, more cunning, a little bit more treacherous, and a little bit more looking out for number one because no one else has traditionally looked out for her like that. Now, is that what's actually occurring? I'm not really sure. I think that the uh, show would like us to believe that that, that that's what's occurring, and that's kind of one of the reasons why like Arya is watching her to such a degree and such an extent because Arya is like, Yo, why aren't you faithful to the fam? Why aren't you telling them that John is in charge and you guys need to knock that shit off? That's basically what she's saying. And Sansa was like, Arya, we could say that, but that's not how to inspire loyalty. That's not the right way. Arya's like, All right, all right. Well, it seemed like you're taking over over here and you're liking nice things. And so we got a little conflict going on, which we knew would happen when John isn't there. Because Sansa... <sighs> this, is what, this is what drives me crazy about the inconsistency of character with her and with Cersei. When John was there, Sansa was in his face undermining him constantly talking about how he needed to to fix stuff and why isn't he just doing what he's supposed to do and this and that and blah 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 she was on his ass Sansa was not supporting him she just sat next to him and then questioned him and then pointed out everything that he did was wrong and then John still put his trust in her he still did see what I'm saying Now he's gone, all of a sudden she's smart and clever and all that. What? Like, that is what distracts me from buying into her character as much as I do others. Stuff like that. But anyways, I didn't even talk about the Arya Littlefinger stuff. Man, time flies when you're talking Thrones, but I'm going to really dig into this all day. So, all day. Game of Thrones all day. I love it. But I want to talk about Littlefinger and Arya's little battle. There's an interesting thing going on when it comes to Arya and Littlefinger that I can't quite put my, my finger on. No pun intended. So this weird thing happens where Littlefinger is going around the castle speaking with people. Um, lords who are showing their descent towards Jon Snow And Arya is basically following him. Now, as we're led to believe, Arya is a master or at least a competent level assassin. She understands um, hiding, subterfuge, disguise. So here's why it feels weird seeing how this scene kind of played out. This scene plays out as if Littlefinger got the best of her. He knew that she was following him or going to spy on him in one way or another. So he was able to kind of set up, I guess he set up a trap where he was expecting her to go into his room. Or he was going about his business, heard that she was going into his room, and then doubled back to see and verify that it was her or that someone else was in his room um, etc. And it's a strange scene because it almost makes Arya's character come across as a little inconsistent where I thought at this point we're supposed to believe that she's very uh, very competent and very skilled at what she's, what she's able to do so I was waiting for some validation or vindication for the 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 terribleness she suffered in the last couple of season, well, last three or four seasons or longer. That's that was my assumption. She went through that whole thing last season, and I just assumed that she just was going to be a very competent spy, and the way she did everything and was, uh, I guess, portrayed, they were making her out to be this. So I thought there was no way that she was going to get caught. That was not the case at all. How did he know? Unless he purposely did things with the expectation that she was going to be watching him. Now, obviously, Littlefinger is trying to so so doubt so so seeds of doubt within the house so my my guess was that he was trying to get the other lords and ladies to doubt john snow and he was going to get some information that was going to put them against him i thought that that tiny scroll was going to be i thought that tiny scroll was going to be john snow as uh, information about him being stabbed and coming back to life so that people could, th- could think, wait a minute, you came back from the dead too, and yet you're wanting us to fight the White Walkers? This doesn't make any sense. I thought that was what was going to happen. Now I'm not so sure. Uh, a buddy of mine was telling me that he says at the scroll is that one time where Sansa wrote from King's Landing under duress saying that she was denouncing Rob. he's a traitor, we need to back Joffrey, the one true king, so forth and so on. And he's going to show this information to the lords to put a wedge between them, or he's going to show this information to Arya to make Arya think that Sansa is actually working for Cersei. Is that what's really going on? I don't know. But it seems like a very interesting, well-laid trap, making Arya think she's got the better of him, when in reality, she doesn't. So, if that's the case, and if that's really what's going on, it's very impressive. I didn't really quite see that that was what was going on or see that that see that see coming in any respect. But if that is true, Littlefinger is a very... Uh, complicated and almost dubious character. He's a character that really understands how to make people behave in a way that's going to be beneficial for him despite what they may think. I think the next part that really kind of intrigues me is the whole scene with the dragon. Now, after that spectacular setup um this spectacular setup from last last week where we had that brilliant battle we had um drogon with danny riding on top cascading across the skies burning down uh enemy troops supply lines stuff like that and that stroke of genius Now we have the actual aftermath and the the show doesn't shy away from it. The show actually almost leans into the aftermath of what is or isn't happening. We have this wonderful scene with Randall Tarley, and Danny is telling the enemies who basically were captured, they have two choices, they can bend the knee or they can die, which we all know it isn't a choice at all. It's one of those things that's almost always fascinates me about the guise of logic in an illogical time. Oh yeah, forgive me, I'm in a car wash right now. I didn't know it was gonna be this loud. But if you give someone a choice and you're like, all right, you have two choices. Either you can starve. Or you could eat a beehive. Well, it's not really a choice. Beehive isn't really edible and I don't really want to starve. But that's basically kind of what's going on with Danny here. She sets it as being, look, I just won this battle. I'm not taking prisoners. Either you're with me or you're literally dead. And so Randall Tarley leans into his his honor, the history of his honor. And while that's sad, we don't have as much empathy or sympathy for Randall Tarley because he's been shown to be to be a prick. Randall Tarley is Sam's dad. And Sam, a kind-hearted, lovable, very wonderful person, has shown us all he wanted to do. All he wanted to do was read, look at his books, look at his notes, have fun, sing songs. But his dad was not about that. His dad wanted him to be a hearty, healthy, very masculine boy. And so he tried all these methods to try to toughen him up, took him hunting, made him uh, bathe in uh, the blood of his kills, all this crazy stuff. And while Sam kind of went with it, we all basically know the reality was that that's not really his forte. Sam is not the the fighter in any scenario. Sam is barely the lover. Sam is just the quiet intellectual who just understands things, makes good connections and he's able to kind of progress to a certain level using solely his brain and doing stuff based on Guts and just trying despite himself, and that's why we love Sam because he tries to do the right thing, even though he is the we the least adept at doing it. And when Sam's younger brother, Dickon, was born, he was much more boisterous and a little bit more traditionally masculine, so his dad's like, Yeah, awesome Dickon, that's my son that's the way that's what we're gonna do with this ish and then. We have this choice where now Dickon, because he wants to be like his dad, he's like, I'm not abandoning him, I'm going to be with him, and Tyrion tries to talk him out, he's like, no, Dickon, don't do it, you are going to end the line of a once great house, everything is going to be over, it's going to be done, Dickon says, I don't care, and with his dad, he gets burned alive, and what sucks about it is that's going to turn Sam against Danny and we were hoping that all our favorite characters were going to go and go along to get along. But that one stroke of him losing his little brother, who was kind to him and liked him because he's his brother, Sam's not going to trust the queen. Stanny mad now? So this poses a crazy question. Is Daenerys Targaryen becoming like the Mad King? The fact that she's willing to not only demand that it is her lineage that decides to make her king in Westeros, like she gave the other people, she freed them, she united them, she brought them together. They follow her of their own accord. The Westerosi, she's basically making them bend the knee. She hasn't shown them anything. It's almost like she's stuck in this storytelling conflict of show, don't tell. Why should they believe you? You've only said what's going on. Sure, you, sh- you said, look, I have dragons. All right, they believe you're the mother of dragons. They don't believe that you're good and just queen. Not yet. Now, we know that she is because we followed her story. But I think that this is the quandary that Tyrion and Varus are dealing with is now that Danny is slowly becoming less of a character and more as in like an external force of nature which is kind of the problem with uh, trying to write for certain characters once they get to a certain level of power is that everyone else is just trying to abate their use of that power or to wield that use of that power or to just adjust around the usage of that power that's kind of what happens in the show entourage where Vinny chase isn't really a character so much as a force of nature that the other characters have to try and contend with and align themselves with so forth and so on that's kind of what danny has become in this season especially we're removing ourselves from being able to empathize with her as opposed to just either you love her or you're a little uneasy with her especially well okay let me put it like this whoever the character is that you associate with the most they're the one that you want to see win and if you associate with Danny the most you love it she's ruling she's killing it she's amazing She's a queen that was promised, she's the mother of dragons, she is the freer of slaves, breaker of chains, so forth and so on. But say you associate with Tyrion the most. He's finally gotten into a very good position. But now Danny is his greatest champion and his greatest obstacle. He's trying to navigate both worlds, and even though he's getting respect, he's still not wielding a sense of command, which is his kind of eternal struggle. The recognition for Tyrion is exactly what we wanted to see, but it's not enough if the recognition isn't true and wholesale, and really kind of taking, in addition to who he is as a character, what he means to us as a char- as his character, and so forth and so on. So, seeing him trying to navigate the waters of basically Danny's personality, that's wild. That's really wild stuff. The true nature, ...of where it all comes from... ...is because we have had the Mad King in the past. The Mad King burned people alive. He did it at a whim. He was crazy. He was wild. And then recently they had another Mad King... ...Joffrey... ...who didn't have dragons... ...but woe betide the whole world if he did. If he had dragons... ...he would have just laid waste to people at his whim. Versus if someone like Tywin had dragons... ...he would have dominated... ...for centuries... But it's this weird thing where I'm starting to almost question the joy of dragons in this universe because it almost seems hollow. The victories almost seem hollow. There's no no real force that can contend with them, which is why I'm kind of waiting for the White Walkers. Maybe they have some ice beasts that the dragons can go against. Maybe there's something that really puts the conflict into perspective, but I'm not seeing it yet. That's kind of what I want. So, is Danny a mad queen in the making? I don't think so. Or at least I hope not. But only time will tell. So, there was the same conversation that Varys was having with Tyrion. Because that's what Varys is scared of more than probably anyone, because he served under the mad king. Varys was there when the Mad King was burning men alive inside their suits of armor. He said so in this episode. And he said that he kept trying to tell himself that it was not him who was doing these terrible things. It was not him. But now I think he kind of understands what a lot of people do is if you're just because you're not doing the action doesn't mean that you're not complicit. Silence, in a lot of ways, is as bad. Standing and being silent while someone is doing something that you know is morally objective is almost just as bad. So he is on Tyrion's ass. And Tyrion is like, I don't know. We're trying. Um, I don't think she's turning mad. She. I, I do what I can, blah, blah but more and more we can see that Danny is not listening to Tyrion as much as we the audience would hope because here's here's what it is from like my perspective like as somebody like yourself you know we're all big fans of game of thrones and so we have certain uh, char- characters that we like and what's amazing is within the shows, at least, is that slowly and gradually, over time, all the characters who are somewhat decent and somewhat morally good, at least to some extent, or I guess positive when it comes to the to, to, to how the audience views them, they're slowly merging into one massive unit. So. When we have John meeting Danny, meeting Tyrion, meeting Davos, meeting Jorah Mormont, Varys, on and on and on. We're slowly, we're slowly learning that there is a chance that what we want. Which is all the characters that we like fighting together against the characters we don't like. There is a chance that what we want may come to pass. So when we see characters that we want arguing, having conflict, it hits us even harder. But that happens all the time. You can't always just have the, the bad guy or, or the asshole who's causing the conflict. Which you can do a little bit in YA fiction or younger fiction. Make it a little bit more black and white. But even then, there's nuance, there's frustrations, there's all these things that kind of ties into it. And on this show, we see it. We know that Tyrion did his best. We know that he tried. We know that he went and he said, don't do this. He tried to talk the Tarlys out of it. He tried to talk Dickon out of it so they would have somebody left at the house. Dickon should be the Lord. But he's not anymore. It's going to pass to Sam. And I know... Maybe it's just kind of to get things out the way so that Sam can actually be the lord of that, of that place. But that's not what happened. We had this terrible, almost like Morley gray uh, effort that Tyrion is trying to impose upon Danny and she doesn't listen. And Varys rails him for it. Varys is like, Tyrion... Watch her better. Give her better counsel. And Tyrion's like, I don't know how much better counsel I can give her. So, pushing past their little disagreement towards the beginning of the episode, um, there's a couple more really interesting things that kind of occurred. We already talked about Littlefinger and Arya. I want to talk about Jorah Mormont. And him kind of arriving back at Dragonstone. Because that's... This episode in a lot of ways is like a reset. We just had this awesome epic battle. Jamie's alive. Braun pulled him out the river. He's safe. Everything is terrible. But he's alive. But now the question is, what are we going to do next going into the penultimate episode? Which is usually the, the big one. And then the finale leading into the last season. Then came the valiant return of Jorah Mormont. Sir, Jorah Mormont in some circles. The man who was exiled into shame, but then slowly by making sure and taking care of himself, keeping alive, surviving, and then by surviving and thriving, and even while thriving, tried to do a little bit of good here and there where he could. He's kind of like cut and scraped and clawed his way back. Jorah was an old town, and the faithful and the wonderful Samuel Charlie saved him. He said, I worked for your father, the old bear, Mormont, and I'm not letting you die. And the fans cheered. And it was awesome. And he... Ugh, painful. He cut off all the dead skin. And then applied a topical ointment. And he couldn't, like, really numb him. And if he had done anything wrong, Sam would have been infected. Everybody at Old Town could have been infected. But anyway... He's back. We get to see Jorah Mormont meet with Danny. And Danny had basically... She had basically given him a Hail Mary shot. Danny had said, "You, I command you to find a cure and kill yourself. And we got to put this in modern day terms. This isn't like... This isn't like he had a... Um, like a cold... Or maybe like uh, he had like an infection, like he had a serious infection, like staph. And if he just went and got the right antibiotics, no, there was no cure. Everybody who gets this disease, especially at an old advanced stage, they're like, well, they're going to go insane. We better ship them off to the island with the other grayscale people. They're done. I mean, it's basically like... Um, Like skin cancer. And the fact that she said, you have to find a cure, I command you. You know, there's some uh, tongue-in-cheek heartbreak there. Because we think after him fighting and him being exiled and him just saying, I just want to be by Khaleesi. And you know, in a lot of ways, he's in love with Danny. And he knows that she'll never really be in love with him. In a lot of ways... He's just like, I don't care. I just want to serve her because this is the only thing that's ever brought me. Actualization. That's ever brought me validation. Since I've been exiled. It's the first good thing in his life. And when she found out that he was a traitor. And see, it's crazy because like in the books. She sent him away because he was being a, a dopey, lovesick fool. But in the show, they have more connection. He is a little bit more nuanced and a bit more complicated of a character. He's played excellently. The acting is amazing. And seeing him being able to come around full circle and see her fully cured, and she's like, but you found a cure? And he's like, I wouldn't be here if I didn't find a cure. That was a beautiful moment. It was lovely. I loved it. And uh, I thought that it was fantastic, and Amelia um, Clark did a great job of showing her affection for Jorah Mormont uh, in just that way of where you just love another human being. I thought that was wonderful. So all the pieces are in place, and the only thing that was left is to kind of figure out, okay, what are we gonna do? Because John's like we got to march to the to the uh, to north and fight the 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 army of the dead and we don't we can't keep wasting our time fighting each other. Khaleesi's like I got to get back the iron throne now asap. Tyrion is like well maybe we can arrange some sort of armistice. So he decides he's going to go and he's going to talk to Jamie. <laughs> Jamie who now, ironically, knows that Tyrion did not kill Joffrey. He knows it. He knows it. Fascinating. So I'm going to talk about these couple of scenes in brief just because I thought that they were just good moments. Obviously, they've unlocked fast travel, so they're at King's Landing in like no time. Tyrion Davos, Davos smuggles Tyrion into King's Landing so that he can do this, this mission. And then while Tyrion, it goes off to the meeting to meet Jamie. <laughs> Davos goes into Flea Bottom, goes to the blacksmith, and, uh, and he gets, um, shit, I'm blanking on the name. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm blanking on the young bull's name. Gendry. Random, man. My old age is catching up to me. (laughs) So he blanks on, so he goes and he gets Gendry, whom he freed basically from being killed, being killed from Melisandre. And we see Gendry, and he's much older, and he he seems to have a bit more agency. He's not just someone's apprentice; he's a full-on blacksmith. He's been, I guess, training for years. And as soon as he's there, he's like, "I knew you were coming back. I knew you were coming for me. I've been waiting for this my entire life." And he gets his warhammer, just like King Robert. Now, there's a theory out there. If you don't want to hear theories, skip ahead 10 seconds. There's a theory out there that he's actually Cersei's kid. I don't know about that. It would be weird um, for her to find out that she has another child, even if it is a bastard that may humanize her once more. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but it's interesting. I liked how they did the whole scene where when he brought Gendry back to the boat and the two gold cloaks come and talk, and he has the hammer in, in the boat, and they're like, hey, what's in the boat? Why don't you park over by the docks? And then Davos goes right back into smuggling mode. He says, this fermented crab, it gets you going for the ladies. He's like, here, try it. And as he reaches over, he like covers up the uh, the hammer. I thought that was so brilliant. It was so natural and so smooth. It felt really real. The, the guard skepticism. Their gold cloaks look great. They're not too gold. They don't look um, kind of awkward and weird as if they came from the Warcraft movie. It was just death scene well done. Meanwhile... And we'll get to the end of that scene in a moment. Meanwhile, Tyrion meets Jaime. Braun brings him in, obviously, because who else is he going to trust in King's Landing to get into Jaime? To the bottom of the keep, which is becoming one of the, the sets this season with all the dragon skulls. They've been there at least two or three times. Well, now Jaime has the knowledge that Tyrion didn't kill Joffrey. So he's like shit. Part of him feels like shit. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have uh, he shouldn't have even been in that situation to kill father, but he still killed father. He knows it. And Tyrion is like, he set me up and he was going to have me executed, not because of anything I did, but because of what I am. And Jimmy's like, don't talk, but he knows it's true. Jamie's teetering on the edge of redemption, and um, we're glad. At least I'm glad because I hope that he kind of comes over to the good side. I want to see Jamie, the Kingslayer uh fighting with them and I'm hoping that he gets to use his title one more time and maybe he's the one that takes out the night king instead of Jon Snow dying and he's like that's right this is who I am I'm the king slayer and then he takes out the night king obviously that's just hopeful wishing I want Jamie to get at least a little bit of nobility and to be remembered for something good for once because we know that he's got good in him deep down so basically He comes back to Cersei. He's like, Cersei, I'm with Tyrion. Tyrion says we should work together. The Night King is coming. Cersei's like, oh, I know. I know everything that goes on. Blah, 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 blah. She's getting on my nerves this season. But the whole point of that is that we think that this whole thing is going to be set up. There's going to be some sort of alliance. Now, what I think is going to happen, because what they said is Tyrion is like, we're going to go get one of the the dead and we're going to show you a dead soldier and then you're going to believe me, and then we're going to all go up together and fight. Cersei doesn't trust anybody. She's going to be looking for a way to take everybody out. But that's the plan. I think what's going to happen is next episode is going to be like Hard Home because we have the Magnificent Seven crossing the wall, and I can't wait to get into this part. And if they bring one back, the episode after that is how is the Armistice Treaty going to work? How is Cersei and Danny going to work together? is it actually going to be real I don't know if it will actually work together because Cersei is just a treacherous kind of terrible person she is like straight up and Danny is a very emotional person and even though she's more reasonable than Cersei she has reaching she reaches her limits faster and faster with people that she deems to be amoral, unmoral, and unpleasant like Cersei. So I don't know how long she'll be able to stand working with her to contend with her because she's like, look, I am the last living Targaryen, supposedly. I deserve this deceit that was stolen from me. You sent me into exile, your family, blah, 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 blah. That is what I'm talking about. The the, the tension is going to be unreal. So imagine them, plus the king, Jon Snow in the north, if he makes it back. Tyrion, um... And we have Euron Greyjoy. Asha will be held captive. It's going to be fucked up. I mean, that's just the reality. She's got her crazy maester and her monster Sir Gregor with her. How are they going to possibly make that work? Um... That is what I'm thinking is going to be the setup, putting a pin on what the actual final army group is before going into the final territory of the game, as I see it. Who is going to be in this armistice? But I think that's going to happen in Episode 7. Episode 6, on the other hand. Episode 6 of Game of Thrones is usually... Well, not episode six specifically, but the second to last episode of the season. That's where you get the, the epic episode, the big battles, the giant set pieces, the crazy interesting items. And uh, so a couple of examples, we have Hard Home from two seasons ago, and then we have the Battles of Bastards from last season, John versus Ramsay Bolton. Epic battles, amazing cinematography, beautiful film language. Uh, intricate stories throughout um, these ever-persistent stories. I think it's great. I think it's amazing. And everybody is very hyped for it. Now, why we call them the Magnificent Seven is because they have seven badass characters. Men on a mission going into enemy territory to do the impossible. I mean, and it only works because of the history behind the characters. You can do it in a movie, but we're lucky. We've had seasons upon seasons to get to know these characters. We know that they're all important. We know that most of them can fight or they can all fight. We've got the uh, Beric Dondarian for the Band of Brothers. We've got his Red Priest who brings him back to life. And now Sandor Clegane, the Hound, one of the greatest fighters uh, in Westeros who basically came back. No, he didn't come back to life. He just didn't die. They saved him after he lost to Brienne. We've got Tormund uh, Giantsbane, the fucking like leader of the Wildlings, the the the, the brilliant brilliant like warrior uh, who knows beyond the wall better than anybody. We've got um, Gendry who went to town on the Gold Cloaks with his warhammer, uh, saving Tyrion and. Um, Uh, Davos from being discovered, Um, and then we have Sir Jor Mormont, who was one of the best fighters in the South who fought neck side by side with Grey Worm and uh, has undying passion and compassion for his Khaleesi, uh, who fought through uh, tournaments against criminals in order to win her affection back and her acceptance back. And then we have John fucking Snow, the hero of the series. So if Khaleesi is the protagonist, if she is the one, the savior of the world, the, the protector, John is the warrior. He's the ultimate like that's the guy that got guy, the guys on the show want to be because he's morally just and he's effective and he's just fucking cool, man. We have seven guys going into enemy territory to kidnap a white walker from the Night King. I cannot fucking wait, man. That is Game of Thrones. That is everything that we want. We want clashes. We want them to give us something that we've been waiting for years. We want characters that we like, kind of like characters that we have matter, to all band together and work together. I think next the next episode is going to be one of the greatest episodes of television ever. Not to hyperbolize it too much, but it's almost impossible for it not to be. Knowing the team that they have, knowing how they've been doing things all season, knowing what they're trying to do. And I don't know how they're going to do it. I, my brain was going into Walking Dead mode. Like, are they going to capture them? Are they going to cut the jaws off so they can't get them? Like, these aren't the same these aren't the same dead as like the slow moving with the zombies. These have a little bit more direction and the white walkers can kind of control the whites in extent and direct them at people. They don't just raise them and they don't just walk. They come for you. And I think next season is going to be terrifying because of it. But for right now, we're going to have this amazing, amazing episode. And I'm so thrilled and I cannot wait. And uh, I know you guys are excited too. So if you've been a big Game of Thrones fan for a long time, having this consistent conflict with the White Walkers and then seeing, seeing it on screen and seeing it consistently is incredibly satisfying. So shouts out to the Game of Thrones team. They're really killing it this season. I'm having a great time. I love talking about it. Um, I know you guys love listening to it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this has been uh, Otaku Beef. I'm Zid Raw. I'm just going to keep doing more random podcasts. Uh, Thanks for listening. Definitely check out some of my stuff. I'm kind of going crazy on YouTube. Just search for Zid Raw. Z-I-D-R-A-W on YouTube. You'll get my channel. I'm putting a a lot of Otaku Beats, a lot of random stuff, a lot of videos. Juice and I, we... We made a song last week, and uh, we have the video mostly done. Just some random wackiness, and we're having a lot of fun with. So, yeah, I'm I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, until next time, uh, which will be later today, this is Game of Thrones talk with Otaku Beef. I'm Ziro Yeah.